0: Good morning. It's really a joy and a privilege for me to be here speaking to you this morning, uh, having been a member of this church since 2009. Uh, just last year, we were also added to the list of those who this church supports as your missionaries, and we are very grateful for the support that you have been giving us now financially as well as in your prayers. Jessica Romance has just read to us five passages in chronological order that spell out the final commission that Jesus gave to the church following his resurrection. This morning I'm going to look at why this great commission is still great. Do you remember a time when someone that was close to you, maybe your last time you had conversation with them, and they spoke something that really impacted you? I remember a time when I was 20 years old. I heard 80-year-old Charles Marsh speak. Charles was known as the Apostle to Algeria. Marsh had seen hundreds respond to his ministry of 40 years traveling across all of North Africa. And yet, most of those who had come to faith in Christ had been martyred by their own families within a few months of their conversion. Charles Marsh gave our group of eager, young, would-be missionaries a strong challenge. He said, When you share Jesus with a Muslim, you may be giving him his death sentence. None of you have the right to speak to a Muslim about Jesus until you yourself have counted the cost and determined that you are ready to die for Jesus. Those words spoken by an 80-year-old saint profoundly changed my life. Here in these passages, what we have seen, Jesus' very last instructions. Surely, we will do well to pay attention to his final words. So, what is so great about the Great Commission? Jesus gave us lots of commands that guide our lives. When asked what was the greatest commandment in the law, Jesus answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. This has often been called the greatest commandment. New Testament scholar Scott McKnight, speaking in the college chapel recently, called it the Jesus Creed. Jesus' conviction that the entire law was summed up in one double commandment completely transforms the way we understand the Torah. The Apostle Paul built on this when he said, For the whole law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Another very important scriptural mandate that has received much emphasis in the past few decades is what is sometimes called the creation mandate, that is found in the first chapter of the Bible. God said to them, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and, multi- and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every other living creature that moves on the ground. All of these amazing instructions and commandments are very important. They are all vital to our lives as Christians. But what did Jesus expect the church to do after he returned to the Father? What do we make of Jesus' final commission that he gave only after he completed his part of the gospel mission? Unfortunately, sometimes Jesus' final commission gets lost among the many other important things he said and the many other vital things that are taught throughout Scripture. So often, we don't really see or feel the importance that Jesus himself gave to this, his final commission to the apostles. In Acts chapter 10, Peter summarizes Jesus' ministry before Easter weekend. He said, You know what has, been, what has happened throughout Judea and Galilee, how God has anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Jesus traveled all over Galilee and Judea proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching his followers for three full years before he went to Jerusalem to die. The crucifixion and the resurrection completed his mission, and after his resurrection, Jesus gave the apostles' instructions about our mission. But he only had 40 days to communicate the nature and significance of the mission that he was now entrusting to his disciples. And during these 40 days, it seems, as we read the New Testament, that he only met with them a few times. Yet he made sure that they fully understood the task. Sometimes we treat the four texts that that were read as if they were five different Um, versions of the same conversation. But upon closer examination, we actually see that Jesus was carefully spelling out the task for them in five steps at five different times, spread over the 40 days of his post-resurrection appearances. Together, they make clear the nature, the scope, and the urgency of the task that he was giving the apostles to begin after his departure. So let's take a closer look at the order in which he gave his final instructions to the disciples. On the evening of the first day, Jesus met with the disciples, with ten disciples in the room in Jerusalem, and he gave the briefest of the commissions in John 20 21. Eight days later, when when Thomas was present, Jesus showed up in the same room in Jerusalem and gave the added information of Mark 16 15. Then, about a week or so later, after the disciples had walked up to Galilee to meet Jesus, he met with them and gave the most detailed of his commissions given on a mountain in Galilee, recorded in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. In most English Bibles, the heading, The Great Commission, appears right here in the Gospel of Matthew at the end of the book. About two weeks after that time in Galilee... On the eve of his ascension, after the disciples had walked back to Jerusalem, Jesus gave the Luke 24, to 49 commission. Then finally, probably just a few hours after the Luke commission, we have the account of Jesus' final mission commission in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus wanted to ensure that there was no confusion, so he unfolded the task that he was giving them in a step-by-step manner, over the course of almost six weeks. Let's take a look at how Jesus spells out the key components in his commission over the five meetings in 40 days. In John 20, 21, Jesus gives us the model. Just as Jesus was sent by the Father, now we are sent by Jesus. We are to minister the way he ministered. And we are sent to do only what we see the Father doing just as he did. We are sent in the same way that Jesus was sent, and so Jesus becomes our model for ministry. Then in Mark 16, Jesus spells out the magnitude of his commission. Jesus makes it clear that we are being sent to the entire world to proclaim the gospel to all nations The magnitude of the commission is astonishing, even breathtaking. Then in Matthew 28, Jesus explains the method. We are to make disciples of those who believe, teaching them to do all that Jesus taught us to do. How do we carry out the commission? By making disciples of the nations. Note also that in Matthew 28, Jesus stresses that since he has been given all authority, and since he is the one who is sending us, then as we undertake this this commission, we undertake it with the authority of the Lord of the harvest, Jesus himself. When I and my colleagues would work in Muslim countries where we couldn't get a missionary visa, we went with Jesus' authority. We had a much higher authority than the government of those countries. Then in Luke, Jesus makes crystal clear what the content of the message is, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. So what is the message? What is the gospel? It's the call to repentance that leads to God forgiving sins so that the peoples of the nations can join with God's ongoing work in the world. And then this brings us to Jesus' final words in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Spoken, it seems, as he was just about to ascend to heaven. He tells us how we will be able to do this. He gives us the means. We are to carry out his commission by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's rather encouraging to realize that as he gave us this massive mandate and really impossible task that he gave us the Holy Spirit to do it, to guide us and empower us as we minister. But the other thing that is here in this passage, in terms of means, is he spells out the strategy that we are to have as we take the gospel. We are told to deliberately focus on three kinds of geographic and cultural groups. Now sometimes we think as we read this passage in Acts 1.8, that Jesus was telling the apostles to start with Jerusalem and Judea, and when the, everyone was reached there, then they were to go to Samaria, and when everyone in Samaria was reached, then they were to go to the Gentiles and to the ends of the earth. But this is a massive strategic error. Jesus told them that the apostles, they, they themselves, were to be witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The commission was not sequential, it was strategic. Jesus spelled out what sorts of regions we are to go to proclaim the gospel. Let's think about this for a minute, what it means for us today. First, we are told to proclaim the gospel to Jerusalem and Judea. That is, to the strategic centers of our culture and nation. In our case, We're called to go to New York City, to Washington, D.C., to L.A., to the big influential centers of our culture and share the gospel. Then we are called to go to Samaria. That is among the neighboring cultures and communities that are close, that are sort of like us, but not the same. But then we're also sent to go to the ends of the earth, to bring the proclamation of Christ's forgiveness to peoples across the globe. Now, there's, of course, much more that could be said, but I think you're beginning to see that Jesus took his final commission very seriously. It was his final set of instructions for the church following his resurrection and the completion of his earthly mission. The apostles also took Jesus' commission very seriously. Look at this map of where the 11 apostles served and died according to church tradition. Now, in the New Testament, the only other apostle, other than Paul, that great missionary apostle to the Gentiles, the only other apostle we hear much about following Pentecost was Peter. And we know that eventually he made it to Rome. So we tend to think that the rest of the apostles must have preached only to the Jews in Judea and in Samaria the rest of their lives. The New Testament is almost silent about their apostolic careers. But look at this map. The only apostle who did not leave Judea was James. He was martyred shortly after. The only apostle who was not martyred was John. Paul and Mark, who were not among the 11, and the other 11 apostles traveled all across the world proclaiming the gospel as Jesus had commissioned them to do. They established churches that thrived for hundreds of years from Spain in the west to Egypt and Ethiopia in the south and Africa to Persia in the north and to China and India in the east. So here we have the first reason to see that Jesus' commission is still great. The apostles traveled the world the ends of the earth, in obedience to the Great Commission. We, the church, have been given clear instructions. And in every generation, Jesus continues to be the Lord of the harvest, calling his church to continue the work of this still Great Commission. But let me give you a couple of additional suggestions as to why I think that this Great Commission is still stunning and exciting and empowering and great. First, God is still at work raising up men and women all over the world to carry out Jesus' great commission in their own communities, in their Judea and and Jerusalem, in their Samarias, and, for them, to the ends of the earth. Let me introduce you to Philip, an apostle to his own people in his Jerusalem in India. In a conference that I attended in Thailand in October, there were 850 missionaries serving among Muslims from countries across the globe. I chatted over a meal with a 35-year-old Indian man from the state of Gujarat, whom I will call Philip. Philip's father owns half a dozen steel foundries across northern India. His family is very wealthy and influential. His family has been Muslim for generations. While in his late teens, Jesus revealed himself to Philip, and Philip responded and became a disciple of Jesus. His father was not pleased when he learned of Philip's decision to follow Christ. After strongly seeking to persuade Philip of the absolute folly of his decision, his father gave him an ultimatum. It's either you... And your new religion or your family. You can't have both. Philip chose to follow Christ, and he has not been able to see his father since, nor has his wealthy and influential family helped him at all in the years since that time. Following his conversion, Philip studied in a Bible college and in a seminary in India, and then he actually did another master's degree in Scotland. And during his studies, he was trying to understand how he could reach his own people and how he could help Christians who were not Muslim background reach out to his people. About the time of his graduation from seminary, God gave him a recurring dream in which he saw himself in his own coffee shop in India. Now, India is known for its tea, for its chai. It's not known as a coffee nation. But God used this dream to guide him. And after he graduated from his second master's degree, he moved to the States for a year and got a job at Starbucks in order to understand how an effective coffee shop is run. And after a year, he returned to India and started his own coffee shop in his home city. Now, more than a decade later, his coffee shop is flourishing. It has seating for more than 120 guests, Every Sunday, he closes it until 5 p.m. In the afternoon on Sunday, dozens of former Muslims gather for prayer and teaching and fellowship. He has them go to their churches in the morning, but in the afternoon, they all gather together. He puts a sign on the door at the shop that says, "'Coffee shop closed, church in session.'" Many not yet believers coming for coffee discover that it's not open and they ask, Can I just come in and watch? And as the people are praying and fellowship together and the prayer time comes, they say, Oh, can you pray for my mother? She's sick, or can you they they, they share their requests, they're prayed for, God answers their prayers and they're changed, and they start to come to Jesus. What's more, Philip has helped others start an additional 15 coffee shops that are flourishing in cities across the region. They're all owned, run, and financed independently by local Christians, many of whom are also converts out of Islam. Their vision is to make their coffee shops into places where the gospel is shared and where new believers are discipled. If you want to hear more, I can tell you more stories. But dozens of Muslims across the region have come to Christ and are being discipled through this network of independent coffee shops. Why is the commission still great? Because God is still at work calling and sending creative 21st century apostles. But I would also say the Great Commission is also still great because God is powerfully at work today accomplishing Jesus' final commission among Muslims. Never before since the birth of Islam in 622 A.D. have more Muslims been coming to faith around the world than now in the 21st century. This past June, during a visit to Beirut, Lebanon, I visited several local ministries that are serving and loving many of the thousands of refugees in Lebanon... Muslim Syrian refugees in Lebanon are responding to the compassionate ministry of Christians and to the proclamation of the gospel. Many of the evangelical churches in Beirut are bursting at the seams. Why? Because Muslim refugees are searching for answers, trying to understand why their Muslim neighbors are killing each other, and why they had to flee, and Christians are boldly serving them and also quietly sharing the gospel. In 2015, and then again last summer in 2017, I visited a local Baptist church called Resurrection Church. They used to be a small church of 50 to 60 believers, all of them from Christian backgrounds. As of last summer, they were about 1,000 members in three congregations, and the majority of them are former Muslims who've come to Christ, Syrian refugees. The church is flourishing, and they're involved in discipling more than 2,000 people. In Kenya, we in the Lilius Trotter Center are helping equip a network of local Christians who are responding to the Great Commission and have a vision of reaching the entire Muslim coastal region of East Africa for Christ. This network is the brainchild of Peter, a Kenyan missionary. Peter is a dreamer of dreams and a man of faith. Very few resources, with very few resources, but a huge faith in God. He is seeking to mobilize the East African Christians to love and engage with Muslims. Thousands of Christians live in the Muslim coastal cities in Kenya, but they are not local. They all have moved to the coast for work from the other areas of the country. The vast majority of them never even notice that they are surrounded by thousands of Muslims and they never share the gospel with them. Peter is trying to change that. He is seeking to inspire, to mobilize and train thousands of these strategically located Christians to reach out to the Muslims in their Samaria, right where they live. God is at work today, drawing people to himself in some of the toughest regions of the world. And when we join in the Great Commission... We are joining him in his task. Yet, there's still a massive job to be done. Even though we are seeing unprecedented turning to Christ, and churches are being planted and people are being discipled among Africans, among South South Americans, among Muslims, and others, there are still millions of people in the world that will never have a chance to hear the gospel unless people leave their Jerusalems and goes to the end of the world. In our day, the gospel is no longer going from the West to the rest, as it was in my parents' generation, but now it's going from the world to the world. The Great Commission has truly become the mission of the global church. Now, I suspect you have some questions. So what do we do about the Great Commandment? What about caring for people's physical needs? What about caring for the planet and transforming communities? Where do these commands fit with the Great Commission? Well, I've actually wrestled with these kind of questions for 40 years, and I found that a helpful way to understand this begins with a step back to look at the grand sweep of the biblical story. In Genesis 1-3, to God created humans and put them in the Garden of Eden, and he intended them to be stewards of the entire earth of all that he had made. Unfortunately, as you know the story, the deceiver entered the garden and turned humanity away from their God, their God-planned purpose, and as a result, ever since... The peoples of the earth have all, most often not known or honored God, nor been in harmonious relationship with God. So God set in motion his mission to redeem people from every tribe, tongue, and nation and restore them to the transformative, loving relationship with their creator that he intended for them from the start. That plan as you all know, began with the calling of Abraham in Genesis 12 and concluded two and a half thousand years later with him sending King Jesus who set up his eternal kingdom and then sent the apostles to announce this kingdom to all the peoples of the earth. So what does this mean about the creation mandate? Well, today... In obedience to Christ's final commission, as the gospel is proclaimed and people believe, churches are formed in new cultures and language groups. Once there are believers among a people group, then they, empowered and transformed by the Spirit, begin the transformation of their own communities and their nations. They reach out to the needy where they are in compassion and they respond to the creation mandate to transform the earth and to to serve it and care for it. They then also respond to the Great Commission, and they themselves, in turn, go to their Jerusalem, their Judea, their Samaria, and to the ends of the earth for them, which may be to us. But until there are people in every language tribe, and nation who respond to the gospel and are worshiping the living God and serving him by the power of the Spirit, the task of the Great Commission continues. One last question that some of you may be asking, is every follower of Jesus Christ a missionary? We often hear it said that every Christian is a missionary. We want to give them a sense of importance. You're all missionaries. When we reach out to our neighbor, no matter where we are, then we're a missionary. That's not bad. But the term missionary is actually another version of the term apostle. An apostle is someone who is sent out. And as we have seen, Jesus' great commission strategy was to send the apostles to proclaim the gospel. The disciples became the apostles once they were commissioned by Jesus to go and preach after the resurrection. I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but in the New Testament, prior to the commission, prior to Pentecost, they were always called the disciples. But after the ascension, they were known as the apostles. If we have been sent out by God through our local church to proclaim the gospel then we are sent ones. We are missionaries. We are, in the New Testament sense of the word, apostles. The Great Commission is to be obeyed by every generation of Christians in every part of the world. We must continue to proclaim the amazing good news of forgiveness of sins and joyous life with God now to those nearby, to those living far away. Christ. Great Commission is still in force. This awesome task is yet to be completed. So, what does all this mean for us? Living the Christian life is always a challenge, and we are bombarded with more and more invitations and appeals to join the latest cause, which is a good cause. I hope that we can again see the priority of the Great Commission to the work of the Church in this generation. It has sometimes been said that when, when everything is missions, nothing is missions. If we are expected to do everything, then we'll be confused and unable to accomplish much of anything. So let us make the Great Commission great for yet another generation. How are we to respond today to the commission that our Lord and Master is giving us once again? May I ask you and I, what is God saying to you and me this morning? Is God calling some of you to give up your small ambitions and join in carrying out Christ's commission in your generation? I am praying that that is the case. Who among you will go like the original apostles and devote your lives to obeying Christ's great and final commission in our Judea, in our Samaria, and to the ends of the earth? Who among us, who among you, is God calling this morning? Who will obey this still great commission? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Christ, for giving clear instructions to the apostles. Thank you for giving your spirit to your church to empower us to respond to and obey your parting commission, to be witnesses to the life-giving message of repentance and forgiveness. Grant us fresh anointing to proclaim your name here in New York, in the Western world, and as you call and send us to the ends of the earth. Amen.